Welcome back to Sleep for Performance Radio. Today we have a special episode with Dr. Mark Pubbs from Canada. You may remember, recall a few months ago, Dr. Mark Pubbs interviewed me on his podcast in relation to sleep, caffeine and performance. I wanted to have Dr. Mark Pubbs back on to discuss his new book, which has been released this month, May 2019, titled Peak. And in this episode, we discuss the background to the book, um, some of the guests on his podcast and some of the research that's kind of informed this book going forward um, and this book is not only applicable to elite athletes but also to, also to serious athletes or if you're looking to get into shape again with the summer coming up in the northern hemisphere or even in the uh, southern hemisphere if you're looking to uh, beat the winter blues so something in this book for everybody as always you can contact me at ian sleepforperformance.com.au on Twitter at sleepforperform and head over to sleepforperformance.com.au for more information in the show notes. If you are enjoying the podcast, can I ask you to please go to iTunes um, and give us a review? Uh, this will really help us sort of get up the ratings and also to get the podcast out to more people because we want to spread the message as much, much as possible. This is a not-for-profit type podcast. We want to get out to as many people. So if you could head over there and give us a review, that'd be much appreciated. Okay, into the episode. Exercise and diet are well established in society as two pillars for optimizing our health. However, both are supported by a foundation that is often forgotten, yet even more integral to our health, namely sleep. The Sleep Recovery Specialist course is an innovative online education experience that provides an in-depth knowledge base, important sleep assessment tools, and a wide range of effective strategies for supporting clients to improve their sleep habits and behaviors. Improve your sense of happiness and well-being, daily energy and alertness, recovery from physical training, reduce risk of obesity and diabetes, and reduce your appetite and sweet cravings. Achieve all of this and more for further information and to enroll online, please visit www.nordicfitnesseducationblog.com. Hey everyone, this is Dr. Mark Bubbs, and I am excited to announce my new book, Peak, The New Science of Athletic Performance That is Revolutionizing Sports, is available for pre-order right now on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Chapters Indigo, and local booksellers, before its release on May 24th. Peak is a groundbreaking book exploring the fundamentals of high performance, not the fads, the importance of consistency, not extreme effort, and the value of patience, not rapid transformation. Peak explores the leading experts, such as Dr. Ian Dudekin, who are influencing the top performers in sports on how to achieve world-class success. What are performance professionals saying about peak? Dr. Rocco Monto, orthopedic surgeon, Team USA physician, and author of The Fountain says, Peak is a masterpiece of nutritional science from one of the world's leading authorities of athletic health and performance. It's a fantastic resource that provides a roadmap to reaching true wellness. Kelly Olenek, forward for the NBA's Miami Heat, says, A must-read for athletes and everyone alike. Peak is an immeasurable tool to becoming the best you can be. And Dr. Fergus Connolly, PhD, performance expert and author of Game Changer and 59 Lessons, says, Peak is one of the most impressive and detailed books on applied sports science ever published. 
a must-have for any practitioner in performance. Regardless if you're trying to improve your physique, propel your endurance performance, or improve your team's record, Peak is about being an expert in the fundamentals and assumes that while top athletes are born, they can also be made. Pick up your copy of Peak today. Welcome back to Sleep for Performance Radio. Uh, today I am joined by Dr. Mark Bubbs. If you hear my voice being a little bit gravelly, a little bit nasally, it's because I'm not sleeping for performance at the moment. It's because <laughs> with these podcasts internationally, I have to get up so early that I'm still half asleep. So it's half six here in Western Australia. And what time is it for you, Mark? I'm actually over here in uh, London, England. So it's 11.30 p.m. Oh, you're in London, England. Oh, yeah. So you're, you're, you're probably going to fall asleep during this one while I'm trying to wake up. <laughs> exactly. I was going to say, yeah, it's a sleep extension here for me. <laughs> sleep extension. But Mark, you're not from London, England, obviously, by your accent and you don't live there all the time. So whereabouts are you from originally? Where do you live? You're very correct, Ian. Yeah, I'm from Toronto, Canada. Toronto, Canada. Nice. We keep it nice and cold in the wintertime. Yeah. <laughs> you started to defrost there. Exactly. So, Mark, uh, we both met last year when I was, a, I was a guest on your podcast, which was a great experience. And uh, we discussed a lot about caffeine, given your background. Um, but for listeners who may not have heard that episode, but I'm sure my devoted listeners and devoted listeners to Sleep for Performance will have listened to every moment of audio I have done. But in case one person hasn't, that's me being sarcastic, by the way. Could you give, <laughs> could you give a little bit of background, Mark, on, um, you know, sort of where you grew up in Canada and how you got interested in the whole human performance area? Absolutely, yeah. I'm from a Toronto area in Canada. And so, you know, growing up, played a lot of different sports. But ironically, being Canadian, ice hockey wasn't one of them. Um, making things even more bizarre, my dad actually worked for an ice hockey company. Um, but... Speaking about sleep, one of the reasons why I got into sports like basketball was, you know, ice hockey practices were at 5, 5.30 in the morning. Wow. So my dad figured out pretty quick, you know what, basketball's after school, we're going to do that. <laughs> and so, you know, for me, playing baseball, playing basketball, sport was always a big part of, of growing up, uh, grade school, high school, uh, university. And then, you know, like most people, you get to a certain level and all of a sudden you don't quite cut the mustard. And so for me, it was getting more into the, the medical field, yeah. um, working with folks to help, you know, prevent obesity, prediabetes, high blood pressure, high uh, dyslipidemia. So in downtown Toronto, I see a lot of clients who are, you know, struggling with a lot of those things. Um, and it's always fascinated me how the, the exercise part really ties into to human health. I mean, I was actually amazed going back two decades, you know, whilst I was doing my undergraduate degree at University of British Columbia, you know, talking to the, um, to the medical school, to some of the docs around, you know, how do they use nutrition or, or exercise or, you know, back then even lifestyle, things like sleep. And of course, none of those things were really on a lot of people's radar. And so that was one of the things that led me into that career path of, of, of naturopathic medicine and, and really the connection with sport being, you know, if we can keep athletes really healthy, we're going to get better performance. And of course, it's the same idea with, with, with clients as well. If you're working hard, playing hard, you know, if we can keep clients and patients healthy, then all of a sudden the performance, you know, in the gym or in the boardroom is a heck of a lot better as well. Yeah. 
So, so Mark, you made, a, you made an interesting comment there about naturopathic medicine. A lot of people would, would hear like, you know, acupuncture, naturopathic medicine, herbs, all this sort of thing. And then we go, well, what is that? Is that really a, a medicine? Is it really a science? And I suppose this is probably uh, a comment that a lot of people get in non-traditional medicine or something outside of just being a GP, general practitioner. How would you explain what naturopathic medicine is? Yeah, it's a it's a common question, and it's definitely one where, you know, depending on where you are in the world, you know, unfortunately the the rules are a little bit different. So, you know, in Canada, in Ontario, where I'm from, um, it's a fully regulated medical profession. So you've got doctor title and prescription rights, etc. But you know, the easiest definition is to say we work with chronic disease conditions like prediabetes, dyslipidemias, things like that. But again, with the tools, the major tools are going to be nutrition, movement, and lifestyle medicine. So that's not to say that there isn't a place sometimes for medications. Most definitely, those are also a tool. Um, but it is amazing that even today when we look at the research, you know, 9 out of 10 chronic conditions are diet, exercise, and lifestyle-based. Oh, so even that, yeah. that theme of expert generalism is, is one of the reasons why I wrote the book, Peak, is this idea of, if we can understand a little bit more about these different areas of human performance, then all of a sudden, you know, general practitioners, nutritionists, strength coaches can really help folks uh, improve their health. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, the, the reason I ask you about that, Mark, that naturopathic question, it's a slightly loaded question. And I'll tell you why. My wife did. <laughs> my, my wife is similar to you. She did an undergraduate degree in applied science, human movement. Uh, here in Australia, and then she went back and did a degree in, natu- uh, in uh, I can't remember the exact title, I think it's a Bachelor of Naturopathy, but Natural Medicine. So she did a Bachelor's degree in that in Australia, but the challenge with that in Australia is that it's not regulated. So you can get somebody who, you know, basically uh, does a weekend course, can call themselves a naturopath, and then you get someone like yourself and call themselves a naturopath. So it's, it's not regulated in Australia. So there, there gets to be a lot of, um, I suppose, lack of structured information or regulation around it, obviously, but it's a question that she gets a lot. So when I see naturopath in a title, I'm always interested to see how people, you know, define that because um, what I find interesting, this is a side note to the book, is is really, you know, people go, oh, naturopathic medicine or plant-based medicine, that's all crap. But, you know, all medicines come from plants anyway. So <laughs> it's an interesting kind of circle where uh, where people discuss about the validity of different types of of medicines, whether it be acupuncture, natu- naturopathic medicine, or other complementary medicines, um, so it's always interesting. And it, you know, yeah, and it, it's it's more a mindset, really, even of of when you get to you know when something presents itself, when a problem presents itself. Let's say a classic one: hypertension. Client comes in, high blood pressure. Yeah, you know, these days a lot of folks struggling with high blood pressure. Well, if we look at a Cochrane review, you know, you can give a medication for blood pressure, and that can lower the actual blood pressure. But the Cochrane Review will tell us that folks with mild to moderate hypertension, you know, 20,000 men over 10 years, if we follow them, there's no reduction in heart attack, there's no reduction in stroke, there's no reduction in all-cause mortality. So we're, we're changing this, this biomarker, but unless you have really high blood pressure, you're not going to actually get a real benefit from that medication. And so it gets, and that's not to say that medications don't have a place, but again, it comes back to this point of, okay, why does this person have elevated blood pressure or elevated blood sugars? And typically it gets back to having a look at the whole person 
and figuring out, okay, where are the gaps? Yeah. What's going on in their nutrition that's not quite right? What is it about their exercise? Are they not moving enough? Or are they someone who's really um, pushing that engine pretty hard? And we need to think about how to periodize some of that training a little bit better. Um, or even as you know, I mean, better than most, and obviously on the sleep front as well, if all of a sudden folks aren't sleeping enough, you know, there's some real trickle-down effects in terms of overall health. Again, blood sugar's higher in the morning. We can get all sorts of things happening in terms of um, at the level of the brain um, when people aren't getting enough sleep in terms of stress, negative thoughts, all those types of things. So it is amazing how it sort of dovetails um, from one thing to the next. You know, and reading parts of your book, Mark, you've, you've kind of uh, you've you've kind of done this where you've shown, and I love one of these. Uh, I love this sentence in your abstract of your book or your overview. When combined bind with the noise of social media, old school traditions, and bro science, it can be difficult to separate facts from fiction. And I think this is actually getting worse. Like where podcasts and social media are great, loads of people listen to Joe Rogan. I feel like sometimes I'm a Joe Rogan answering machine because there's so much bro science that comes through that and you hear people saying things it's like really how does this all work together you know and i think um what you're trying to do here is kind of you know separate out all the good stuff show the relationships between these different modalities or like you say health nutrition recovery and sleep and mindset and all these different things about how you can really optimize human performance and i think in a day in a day like we're in today uh it's very difficult to sift through all that information and really come up with something that's um, applicable to people because like we said, there's so much stuff out there. So I think with this book, you know, from my view is you've really tried to kind of take all these good bits and put them together and show those relationships. Cause like you said about these, you know, metabolic conditions, people are struggling with hypertension. You know, we see people in industry or even athletes separately dealing with, you know, weight gain, uh, jet lag, all these different factors. And everybody's got, Everybody's trying to manage them independently and not taking the higher level approach and having an integrated strategy to manage them. So therefore, the individual strategies aren't really working, you know? So they're constantly going with just, oh, I'll do this to solve this problem, such as jet lag. I'll just stay up or I'll have a few beers because that makes me fall asleep for shift work. And so they keep trying to knock one problem on the head as opposed to taking a higher level view, which I think this is kind of what you've tried to do in this book, Peak, or what you've, that really was your aim. Would that be correct? Yeah, I mean, it's effectively when you get into those real um, complex problems, it's, it's difficult when you have a reductionist approach to just think, you know, um, one problem, one solution. And so, you know, that was one of the reasons why, you know, for myself, actually, in helping to athletes solve some of these sort of more complex problems that was leading to poor overall health. That's one of the reasons I started working with Canada Basketball. And, uh, you know, now as the performance nutrition lead, being able to help the players uh, to maintain overall health. And sometimes that is on the performance nutrition side um, in terms of fueling. But a lot of times in team sports, it's really about, again, finding those gaps in their overall lifestyle, health, sleep, mindset, recovery that can help them to really raise their game, improve their health, um, and really see some tangible differences you know, on the court uh, during competition. So, Mark, when you, when you work with a team, let's say we take basketball, um, obviously there's that component of the organizational design about how the team is operating as a, as a group, when to train, when to eat, what they're eating, where to travel, what the strategy is, where they want to finish. And then there's the individual aspects because everybody's going to be different within that group. You know, 
depending on the position, depending on the person, depending on their own personal values, depending on their own personal goals, and even depending on their age and where they are in their kind of cycle of their career. How do you approach those when you're um, working with those organizations? How do you break those down to ensure that everybody's getting what they want? That's a really interesting question. And it's definitely one where, you know, at Canada Basketball, we start at 13 years old. And then we go all the way up to our, you know, World Cup and Olympic teams and all of our players playing in the NBA. And, you know, to give you an idea, when I was growing up in Toronto 20 years ago, you know, we had one guy in the NBA, so Steve Nash. He was a, he was a heck of a player, two-time MVP, but we only had one Canadian player in the NBA. You know, now on our national team, we cut players who are in the NBA. So we've got, you know, 15 guys who are playing in the league and the most of any country next to the United States. And so there's a lot of different ages there. So, you know, as younger players can get away with a lot, as you probably know, you know, when you're dealing with younger athletes, it's like, they're not thinking about the sleep. You're not thinking about nutrition as much um, until an injury occurs or until you get sick. Um, We often see as players start to advance in their career, then all of a sudden they're taking more of an interest in how to stay healthy, how to recover a little more quickly uh, from injury, and how to really make it through a grueling season because you know a long NBA season is tough on the body. And you know, in the book, we try to make these comparisons between you know athletes, obviously high stress load, uh, intense training, but people who are working you know long hours at their job, kids at home, commitments not sleeping enough, you know, that total stress load in their life can be, you know, just as high as an athlete as well. Um, Especially when you take into consideration, they don't have someone cooking their food for them, or they don't have therapists uh, treating them, et cetera, et cetera. So um, trying to get some of those parallels across um, of how, you know, total stress load can really impact and negatively impact, you know, someone's health. If you're, you know, just trying to be productive at work, be productive at home, and of course, you know, perform well in whatever sport or activity that you enjoy. So, so really, Mark, in this book, it's not just them that elite athletes, it's, or even the kind of serious amateurs. It's for anybody, anybody that's sort of a, a middle-aged man like myself that wants to take up a challenge, whether it be do a triathlon, run a marathon, run an ultra, um, you know, just basically get fit and healthy. There's going to be something for them in this book. 100%. Yeah. And I think that was, that's an interesting chapter is chapter five is all about endurance nutrition. And we kind of run folks through, you know, the, the history of, of sport nutrition, which is really based in carbohydrates and endurance sport and the classic traditional guidelines that come around high carb fueling, particularly around, you know, race day in order to win. Mm. And of course, you know, the, I talk about in the book how in 2016, Chris Froome, who was, you know, defending Tour de France champion had posted a picture of his breakfast. And of course it was, you know, avocados, eggs. And of course what wasn't on his plate was any carbohydrates. And so automatically the blogosphere blows up and everybody assumes that Froome is, is a low carb athlete and <laughs> carbs are for suckers and all these types of things. And so the level of nuance really gets lost. And yeah. so when you, when you talk to the experts and, you know, folks like professor Paul Larson and Dr. Daniel Plews and, uh, you know, James Morton, Samuel Impey, that's uh, also quoted in the book. You know, we, we dive into some of these, 
um, strategies that they're using at the elite level. You know, experts don't talk low carb or low fat. They talk about carbohydrate availability, right? So strategically and purposefully training with fewer carbohydrates in specific sessions to elicit specific gains. And so I think one that most people can relate to is, you know, getting up in the morning, especially if you're an endurance athlete, getting up in the morning sort of goes hand in hand. You know, you have a coffee and then you hit the road. Yeah. And so classically that would be seen as, well, you know, you're not taking on board enough fuel. This could cause a problem. Um, but what we see in the research is after that overnight fast, you've depleted liver glycogen levels. And so all of a sudden we're going to create a different, uh, elicit a different response to that training session. Now, typically these sessions are done, you know, if it's intense, no more than 45 minutes, typically aerobic, but that's, that's sort of an entry level of this train low type strategies um, that's described by, you know, James Warren and some of his work and things that they use in elite cycling with, you know, Team Sky. Yeah, I think this is a very interesting area um, around nutrition. And I get asked this a lot because obviously, you know, on the kind of, uh, I find in human performance, like strength and conditioning is one kind of component, but sort of recovery, nutrition, and sleep all, a lot of time gets lumped into one. And I get asked a lot of questions. And I'm not a nutritionist, not a dietitian, and I've got, you know, basically no real, um, no real cause or reason to be talking about. But what I do say to people is, from my exposure to working with people like Reed Real, when we were looking at making weight and athletes, talking to Louise Burke at the Australian Institute of Sport, and other people as well, my comment is always, you got to stop thinking about this like a machine. The human body is not an engineering problem. It's not inputs, a process, and an output. We are all individually variable. So, for example, Mark, you might be really bad at processing carbohydrates. Me being Irish, I might be able to eat 15 potatoes, go up the next morning, and feel fine and still lose weight over the week. You know, if I'm on a weight reduction strategy, for example. And, um, you know, it's so much individual variability. And I, I was speaking to Danny Lennon recently from Sigma Nutrition. He was actually here in Western Australia. And oh, Danny's, nice. Danny's put up a really interesting triangle, you know, about nutrition, which is like, are you looking for weight loss? Are you looking for human performance? You know, are you looking for whatever? You can't really do the whole lot at once. So it, you might change your diet, diet and your nutrition strategy over time, depending on the race. And I think it goes back to your point about the nuance. You know, the, the individual variability it might be the daily, the, the individual variability, there might be the event variability, and then there might be the day-to-day -day variability. And then also you try on top of that, how you're feeling because some days for, for athletes doing ketogenic or low carb, they get up some days and they just feel like crap. And therefore maybe they need to replenish, you know, and load up for a day. So I think it's really interesting when you get into these things and we get right down into the detail about individuals. Um, so yeah, it's great that you're trying to address Absolutely, these yeah. things. Yeah. I mean, I think that key distinction between race day nutrition and training day nutrition, and just like you said, I mean, race day nutrition, somewhat both camps can agree on but training day nutrition can really depend on, on your goals where you're at you know we'll see guys who are you know if you're an elite cyclist like chris Froome, you're eight percent body fat you know you might be consuming six thousand calories in a in a tour stage and yet we've got some recreational cyclists who are 40 to 50 years old maybe holding on to 20 pounds too many and their fueling strategy on the bike looks pretty similar to someone like a professional cyclist. Mm. And that's when you got to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, you know, wh what's the context here? How can we, how can we change this so that we can, you know, support some weight loss and better health as folks train up for their endurance events. But, um, 
as you mentioned there with, with Danny, that's a great point that we um, definitely talk about in the book as well, which is that idea of sort of health, body composition and performance being, you know, different poles. And so the example I use in the book is a gentleman named Phil Kessel, who was a great hockey player in, in Toronto for the Toronto Maple Leafs, um, always looked a little bit overweight. And a few years back when the Leafs were rebuilding, there was a picture of him at a charity golf event and he was eating a few hot dogs. Um, and this is the middle of the summer, right? There shouldn't be any coverage of ice <laughs> yeah, hockey, yeah. but I yeah. mean, Toronto is just hockey obsessed. And so this hits the news and hits the front papers and it's, you know, people are sounding off, you know, saying, I see, you know, I told you so this guy's not focused on his nutrition. He's not a leader. Um, and of course the irony is when you, when you went back to the physical testing metrics for the Toronto Maple Leafs, he tested as one of, if not the strongest, one of, if not the fastest, and he actually had the fewest injuries of any of the players. So the, he was there day in, day out, he performed, and yet we're obsessed with body composition. So it's one of those key things where, yeah, depending on your context, you know, having a six pack doesn't make you a better ice hockey player, right? Oh, um, but yeah. I think that gets lost a lot in, in you know, the social media world or, or, or you know, the blogosphere, right? Uh, I think I think you're 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 right, Mark. I think if you look at the people's obsession with body composition, it's absolutely crazy. Like there's middle aged guys getting around constantly want to be like eight percent body fat and they're walking around like Skeletor or a He Man with their face sucked in, feeling like crap, can't perform in meetings, can't perform on the weekends, constantly tired. And you're like, just eat. Bring like twelve percent to fifteen percent body fat at your age in your mid forties is still extremely good. You know, the problem is people are too busy looking at the front of men's health or men's fitness. And a lot of people don't realize that those, those models or athletes on the front of those things actually use weight reduction strategies similar to fighting to do those photo shoots that they don't walk around like that the whole time. So it's, it's really Absolutely, yeah. It, it's is, really it is so interesting. And I mean, the other half of those guys, I mean, it takes them 26 weeks to hit peak uh, condition to hit the stage for a, you know, a physique competition or bodybuilding competition. I mean, 26 weeks, that's half a year. And I think sometimes when you frame it to clients like that, then all of a sudden they're a little bit more realistic in terms of, of, of goals and what we want to do because, you know, everything's a push and pull, a give and take. And so, you know, all of a sudden that's a lot of commitment if you think you want to be um, that vigilant. And of course, some people love it. And if you do, then, then obviously you know, go for it, dive in, get a nice systematic approach. Um, but it is amazing how the best of the best in terms of bodybuilding are trying to lose, you know, half a pound a week. Yeah. And yet, yet the promises we make online or whatever is, is, you know, a pound a day, 30 pounds in a month. And so we're almost, you know, setting people up for disappointment. So it's, it's no wonder that about nine out of 10 people after the end of the year, unfortunately, you know, gain it all back. Yeah. So Mark, in the book, um, you talk about one of the areas about sleep, digestion, microbiome, and blood glucose. And this is a very interesting area because lots of researchers are talking about this relationship at the moment. There's been some stuff around it, around type 2 diabetes and, like you said, to start high blood pressure. You've had myself on your podcast and a few others, and you've released this kind of special episode, I suppose you want to call it that, for sleep and circadian rhythms, which is great because it's got like five or six people in it with little kind of um, snippets of highlights from it. A little highlight reel, yeah. Highlight reel. It's really, it's really cool to share, yeah. But it, you've obviously spoken to those guys. You've had your own experiences. Um, you know, you've looked at the research. 
what are you finding from from your side of the world um in athletes at the high levels in this area around sleep and digestion i mean it's an interesting one in terms of you know you get different camps in terms of obviously research around the microbiome um, and gut microbiota has really exploded in the last 10 years or so um, dr nick west at uh, griffiths university there in australia um, dr david pine did some work around trying to identify this athlete microbiome signature. You know, what are these uh, different bacteria, the different groups of species that are going to be making up the gut microbiome of elite athletes versus, you know, recreational athletes versus sedentary folks. Um, and so whilst they're starting to put their finger on a few, it is amazing how um, it is so dynamic and it can change so easily between one group and another. Um, to give you an example, Dr. Lauren Peterson, who's formerly the Jackson Laboratory here in the U.S., um, she had done some research in, in downhill uh, racers in terms of cycling. And what she found was that they actually tended to have the same gut microbiota signatures depending on the intensity that they were, they were training. So they, they grouped based on um, the demands of, of their uh, distances that they were training for. Um, she also found that, you know, when some of these cyclists unfortunately had to undergo, you know, if they got sick, they had a round of antibiotics, there was about a 95% eradication of all the gut microbiota species, which is pretty significant. The cool part was that folks who were eating a diverse diet, uh, lots of different food items, who took a probiotic in the two to four weeks post, were able to you know, restore their gut microbiota in very short order back to um, what it was originally. Whereas the sedentary population, when that same thing occurs, even after a year, that eradication was still, was still present. They were still missing uh, a huge portion of their normal gut flora. And so, you know, what does that mean for someone who's an athlete? What does that mean for someone who's working hard, um, trying to perform at work and at home? Well, we know that gut diversity is a pretty darn good biomarker as, uh, for overall health. And so if we want to maintain good immune status, you know, not be run down, catching frequent colds and flus, and that was one of the really big things that came out of the book as well, is just this idea if, if you are constantly run down and catching colds and flus, that's really just incompatible with elite performance. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not very sexy, but consistency is really um, the, the king. You know, the athletes who show up and train every day at the end of the year those are the ones who are going to perform the best or have the greatest opportunity to perform the best and you know really it's the same for nutrition when we look at weight loss you know diets for weight loss improving body composition adherence and compliance is the best uh, predictor of uh, of success so mark when you're talking about the microbiome so basically in the microbiome um when the athlete is working at a very intense rate over time, in simplistic terms, this gut microbiome is disrupted or diminished. So a bit like it's leading to more colds and flus. Um, and you find this with athletes and sedentary people? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, that's definitely, you know, if you've got less diversity, that's yeah. typically going to be a sign of, you know, greater stress load on the, on the system altogether. Um, it typically reflects someone who eats a diet a less diverse diet, a diet higher in processed foods, um, potentially someone who's been on more medications. Um, now, the, 
the tricky part here is that not everyone who's eating a high processed food diet, you know, especially when you look at some young athletes, some just don't get sick. Yeah. So it's, it's, it might not be an issue. Um, but when we look at athletes and this is where for a long time for myself would be called in when guys were just struggling, they were always getting sick. They were always run down. Um, maybe there was persistent inflammation or joint issues. And that's when, you know, looking under the hood a little bit more, potentially getting some testing done and really being able to put a metric on the fact that this diversity now is, is low. And this is a potential area where we can now, okay, get some confirmation, start to increase the different food items. And, and sometimes it's really just the, the signal um, or the result that somebody needs to really take action. You know, like a lot of testing and metrics, it really is um, the point to really start a conversation to say, hey, what's going on in your in your nutrition, in your exercise, in your lifestyle that we can address here to, to get this thing moving back in the right direction to, to just really increase overall resiliency. And so you spoke there about uh, probiotics as well, Mark. Do, do probiotics really help that much? Because a lot of people will have feedback that, you know, I've taken it for a while, no difference. So I've had some, you know, Greek yogurt that's just as good. Um, what, what would be your kind of uh, response to those queries about probiotics and their efficacy? Yeah, I mean, when we look at the reviews from, uh, again, Dr. West and Dr. Pine out there in Australia, um, we see that in terms of, you know, reducing the severity and duration of colds and flus, we see efficacy. Uh, and in athletes, they saw benefit in about two-thirds of the studies. So, mm. um, you know, that's definitely something that can be added on once athletes are experiencing a cold or flu. Uh, they do suggest if you're going to be, you know, traveling to try to, in terms of prevention, that athletes start to take them about two weeks beforehand uh, because some athletes can experience some acute adverse impacts. It can change, you know, bowel uh, frequency a little bit. Yeah. Um, but the one area that's, you know, folks used to think that bacteria was repopulating the gut, so to speak, that was colonizing the gut. Whereas now we know it's, it's, it's much more transient. I mean, when you're taking a probiotic, it's, it's passing through the gut it is eliciting some some changes to the community, um, but when you stop taking it, then again, you know those actual colonies are not effectively recolonizing on their own. They're just simply having an impact on the whole community. Yeah, and so Mark, then um, obviously the the title of this podcast is Sleep for Performance. So how does sleep <laughs> nice. impact our whole microbiome uh, relationship? Yeah, I mean I. As you know, you know, I mean, sleep is just so fundamental to everything. Um, you know, with the book, even finishing off on mindset, um, for me, it's amazing how when we look at things like sleep and folks don't get adequate sleep, we see big shifts in terms of mindset, you know, dramatic increases in things like uh, negative thoughts. Uh, we see if we combine stress with that, we see changes, you know, heightened activity in the enlargement of the amygdala you know, weaker connections between the prefrontal cortex and the amygdala. Um, and so the irony here is that even when we see reductions in sleep, this total overall stress load starts to impact the gut microbiota diversity as well. And there's a link between the gut and brain as well. And, yeah. and this sort of connection between mood. And so, you know, this is where all these systems really become like loops, all feeding back upon one another. You know, an athlete or client doesn't get enough sleep. They have exaggerated blood sugar responses the next day. Um, they have increased cravings. They're typically going to crave, you know, more processed food, more convenience foods. 
that's going to have trickle down effects on the gut microbiota. We see, you know, more exaggerated inflammatory responses in these folks when this is kind of becomes the norm. And so, you know, I think this is where getting back to the fundamentals, and this is a key theme of the book is this idea we, if we can get the experts from all these different fields and take 20% of the real fundamentals of what they're doing, we can get a real 80% of the way home in terms of benefit. Mm. Um, and so starting with, you know, establishing sound sleep behaviors is one. Um, digestion is one where, you know, when it's running well, people don't think about it a little bit like the immune system. You know, we don't tend to think about um, our immune system until we're always catching a cold or flu. Or if you go on a trip and all of a sudden, you know, you get a digestive bug and now you've, you know, you've lost 10 pounds in five days or, or whatnot, then you really start to realize how important the immune system is. And so, you know, keeping people healthy and resilient is such a fundamental factor for human performance in the day to day and definitely at the elite level in terms of, you know, team sport athletes and, and elite athletes of all types. Yeah, it's really interesting. This whole kind of interconnected relationship, you know, we if a lot of times I will talk to people about, let's say, just sleep on its own. And we talk about, you know, the suprachiasmatic nuclei, which we discussed before uh, in the brain. And it's basically like then there's all these body clocks within. So I often say to people, remember those old grandfather clocks? You open up the door doors and there's all the things working behind it. That's really what the body's like. And like you say, there's all these feedback loops. And if you make an impact or you make a change to one, it may have negative or positive on the other. And so it's this constant fine balance. And I really like, you know, your approach, Mark, and taking everything that's out there. And even if you can take 20%, you know, that old Pareto principle, take 20%, get 80% improvement here. You know, it's, it's such a good way to look at it. And in a day where there's so much noise, as we said at the start of the podcast, it's great to get this kind of the cheat code. And I think maybe your book could be called Peak and the sub the sub one could be the cheat code <laughs> because it sounds like that's what you try to do you've tried to just distill this information to people who are too busy to troll through everything and you've given them this distilled um this distilled message um and, and kind of with that Mark, Mark, is, is there any would you be able to summarize in three five or ten points or whatever it might be that people would get out of this book what would you say is the big takeaways if people buy this book when it gets released in may um what, what can they take away from this book? What, what do they expect to get? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the biggest things is they're going to get a little glimpse into what, you know, the elite performance staffs around the world are doing with, with high-level athletes. Um, and it's not what they think. It's not as much of the fads and the shiny new toys. It's really a heavy emphasis on the fundamentals. Mm. Um, and so being an expert in the fundamentals is a key theme across the book. It's what you see in elite performance staffs. And sometimes in the general public, or rather most of the time in the general public, we tend to get away from that, right? We tend to forget about sleep and look for, um, you know, some type of supplement that's going to help us out with sleep rather than working on the actual behaviors, you know, the sleep hygiene, all these types of things. So, you know, really developing the fundamentals is, is a big key um, from this book. And then the other piece is, again, connecting folks with all these experts around the world folks like yourself, Ian, on the sleep front, so they can start to understand who the experts are in, in the realm of you know, gut microbiome, blood sugar dysfunctions, when we talk about uh, making weight for competition in, in combat sports, you know, adding lean muscle, endurance nutrition, we talk about team sports, halftime nutrition, all these types of things, recovery. You know, 
who are the people that are really on the front lines doing the work and what is their message, right? Yeah. What would they get across? And I think that's such a key part because again, we can start to make this pretty complicated. And I think sometimes people, especially when they're interested in this field, you know, you, you know, if they're general public, then all of a sudden we start adding all these different approaches. And if you take a look, you step back to 30,000 feet, you realize, geez, we're still missing, you know, some real fundamental pieces here that we could add in. So that's definitely another key point. And of course, if people like to geek out on this stuff, then we've got, you know, lots of little details that they can dive into and, and, and start to apply and, and tinker around with and have some fun as well. Yeah, that's, a, that's, that's great to hear, Mark. I think like on a side note in the sleep area, I constantly get the question, oh, um, you know, Ian, I've been trying to do that Mark Wahlberg thing. I get into the gym at four o'clock in the morning or follow Jocko and I get up at four, half four. And you know what? Just during the day, I'm too tired. So what can I do that I can still go to the gym in the morning and still be performing well at the day? When do you feel tired? Generally from nine o'clock right through to four during the day. Like, <laughs> well, don't get up and go train at that time. Yeah, but I want, but I, but I want to, I want to get up. A f- but why? And he had the whole conversation about sleep cycles and inhibiting, inhibiting uh, the REM cycles. What if you just trained at lunchtime or for a half an hour after work or an hour? What does it matter once you get in your training? And then you know you see them a month later. Oh, I start training at five in the evening after work. Feel so much better, like a new man. It's like, yeah, well, just because one person is doing it doesn't mean you have to do it. And I think there's a misnomer out there with diet, uh, recovery, uh, nutrition, sleep, even strength and conditioning, that you can just get used to doing something badly and you should adapt. You know, some people will never adapt uh, to certain. And it's things. so true. I mean, especially yeah. when we take sort of anecdotes from celebrities or other people, because again. Yeah. You know, how many professional teams have you worked with? Would you start getting somebody up at four thirty to train if they could sleep until seven or eight? I mean, zero. You know, <laughs> exactly. And so that's yeah. that's what we're trying to do with the book is to yeah. get. Uh, I mean, obviously everyone's listening to your podcast there in in Australia, but uh, to kind of spread that around more of hey, it's cool if certain people are doing certain things, but all of a sudden it draws our attention to yeah, let's all wake up at four thirty and start training. But yeah, as you said, I mean, I see it all the time. Two people are flatlined throughout the day and. Um, yeah, you you, you got to start with the fundamentals and then find your little spots where you can you can add in some layers if 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 you so choose, right? But uh, I think sometimes people even forget about what their goals are. You know, you ask people why they're doing something, um, and sometimes it takes them a little time to actually remember why they've decided to do that diet or add that supplement. And then you go, okay, okay, let's go back to the drawing board here. Yeah, I get that heaps. Oh, I heard it on a podcast. I read it on Facebook, or a guy a guy did it and lost thirty pounds. Yeah, but he was he was grossly overweight. Your BMI is fine. Your body fat's fine. Why are you doing that? I don't know. <laughs> it's interesting. And it is. I mean, sorry, just to keep going here, but one of the things that's amazing about that is that our sports psych, a renowned sports psych at Canada Basketball, Dr. Peter Jensen, I mean, he talks about how emotion and imagery is the most powerful way to connect with people. Yeah. You know, information is not how people learn or adopt things, you know? Um, and so I think that's one of the things we can take from some of the, um, whatever it's celebrity endorsements or whatnot is that people feel a connection. You know, if, if you can establish a connection with your client, with your athlete, whomever, you know, then you can really make some headway in terms of how, how you can influence behavior and influence change. Um, and I think that's one of the things that, you know, even general practitioners docs struggle with because they're always wondering why, you know, clients are following the nutrition advice from their friend or, sister or aunt or somebody right um and it all comes back to that uh, you know having that trust having that relationship and all of a sudden you, you take on board the information 
Yeah. Mark, so you've gone through this book, this process, um, you know, you've spoken to all these people in different podcasts, you've had all your experience. Where do you see human performance going in the next five years from, from what you've done so far? What's the future of, neuro, of, um, uh, of human performance? Is it neuroscience? Is it strength and conditioning? Is it more about meditation? Is it mindset? Is it psychology? Where do you see it going? Yeah, it's such a fascinating question. And, and definitely with the folks that I had the pleasure of interviewing in the book, we dive in a little bit in the chapters on you know, emotion and leadership. And, and the folks that I interviewed, I mean, it's, you know, the brain, the psychology is, is really still incredibly such an untapped, um, untapped area or an area that still has so much room to really uh, move the needle. And, you know, whether that's from technologies that can help people to really um, put their finger on how to apply those things better, or, you know, I've heard also in terms of just a coach's ability to use uh, some of those tools to be able to connect better with athletes and to be able to really, uh, you know, inspire, motivate um, individual players and teams. Cause especially at the highest level, it's, it's getting to be a much more um, murkier waters to navigate in terms of, you know, attention spans today, or again, at the elite level with the amount of money some athletes are making mm. to really be able to get everybody on the same page and, and working towards a common goal. So yeah, it should be interesting to see where, uh, where the next uh, four or five years go for sure. That's, I think that's quite interesting. I think most people would have been taught would probably thought you're going to say, "Oh, Olympic lifting," or you know, there's a new supplement coming out. But you talk about leadership and culture. <laughs> it's very interesting because at the core, through all of human life, that's probably one of the biggest things where we can get the biggest improvements is true leadership and culture. So it's very interesting that you make that point because uh, I've been saying that myself in industry and with athletes as well. It's one of the common things. And I would actually say it's the foundation before we even start looking at human performance. I've actually switched my thinking around as of late, where I normally go in and start looking at performance. Now I'm going in and starting to look at leadership and culture first and ask those questions before I start looking at performance, because that really informs what you're going to get. Yeah, it is incredible. I mean, once you start setting that environment, um, you know, environment really trumps all. Once you set that environment, it's amazing how it really, uh, you know, pulls everyone in the, in the same direction and, you know, yeah, impressive, impressive stuff for sure. Yeah. Well, look, Mark, that's really, that's great. It's great to get an overview of the book and sort of some of the inputs and, the, and, the, and more importantly, the outputs that people get from it. So everybody, uh, the book is called Peak and it's by Dr. Mark Bubbs and it's available everywhere. It's on Book Depository. It's on Amazon. You can go to Dr. Mark Bubb's website as well. There's links there. You can throw this into Google. You will find a way to order this. Um, it's a great book. It's got a great cover. Um, the New Science of Athletic Performance that is Revolutionizing Sports. So it's called Peak, the Subheadings Health, Nutrition, Recovery, and Mindset by Dr. Mark Bubbs. Mark, it's, the book is out now. It's available for people to order. It is the month of May 2019. So on this special episode, you can go and do it. Um, and for anybody else who's been listening to me prior or I run into you, there is pre people have pre-ordered this book. Um, so it will be shipped out around the, the, the uh, last week of May. So around now when this episode has been released. Mark, is there anything else you would like to add to the conversation today? Anything else to tell listeners? Um, any which way they can get in touch with you? any supplementary information as we said 
Ian, that was terrific. I appreciate you uh, taking the time. And, and obviously, you know, real pleasure in the book was getting to, to interview loads of people for the book, to have people on my podcast, such as yourself, experts in the field. So in the sleep section, um, we do have some great quotes from yourself in there. So that's, uh, yeah, appreciate your time on that. Um, and uh, yeah, I hope uh, if anybody has any questions, then feel free to connect uh, social media at Dr. Bubs and drbubs.com is the website. Great. Thanks, Mark. For the other listeners on the podcast today, you will be hearing about this book peak for the next six months. It'll be a reoccurring advert on the podcast episodes for the next six months. So if you miss out on this one today, you forget. You can always rewind the podcast. That is an option. Some people think, seem to forget that. Um, but you, you will hear it again each month going forward. So, Mark, thank you very much for your time. I know it's late there in England. Really appreciate you joining us. Fantastic. Well, thanks for getting up early for me, and Much appreciated. No problem. So that was Dr. Mark Bubbs giving us a bit of an overview of his book there. Hope you enjoyed that episode. Uh, next month, in the month of June, we will have Dr. Raymond Matthews on from University of South Australia discussing some of his research uh, in laboratories around sleep restriction, sleep timing, and uh, the timing of sleep as well. Uh, Raymond has just returned from Sweden where he's been doing some postdoctoral research work over there and uh, i think you'll really enjoy that episode be sure to check out the show notes for this episode with dr mark bubbs head over to um all those major platforms where you can buy the book peaks such as amazon wherever you want to get the book from and uh you know order today and support mark and his work we really would appreciate that okay until next month sleep well <laughs>